We are outdoor ladies who hunt, shoot, and fish, all while working in conservation and chasing kids. I am Julia Plugge with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. I'm Rachel Alice with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. I am Megan Weiskup with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. And I'm Tana Fancher with the Kansas Department of Wildlife, Parks, and Tourism. Follow us on our outdoor adventures. Welcome back to She Goes Outdoors. Fall's definitely in the air. Uh, we hope you all are enjoying this beautiful weather, getting out there, exploring our beautiful natural resources. Today, we're excited to have a guest with us. You don't have to just listen to Julia, Megan, and I go on and on. She's going to share experiences in the natural resources. Uh, Erica Billerbeck is a conservation officer with the Iowa DNR in Johnson County. For those of you not in this great state, that is the uh, home of the University. University of Iowa, so Iowa City area. Many of us also like to call it the other college in Iowa. We're excited to talk to Erica. She just recently authored Wildland Sentinel, Notes from an Iowa Conservation Officer. So we're excited to hear um, her thoughts and, and views from maybe a different side of the natural resource world. So Erica, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with us today. Uh, before we get going and talking about your book, which we're really excited to hear about, we want to know a little bit more about you. Our, uh, our listeners have gotten probably too much about uh, my kids, Julia's kids, <laughs> Megan's kids, our backgrounds, and, and kind of how we entered natural resources and, and what sparked our love. So we want to hear a little bit more about you, your background, and kind of what sparked your love of natural resources and why you decided to dedicate your career to it. Well, I, uh, gr I grew up for the most part in Northeast Iowa, went to Luther College after high school, and I've always been interested in the outdoors. I mean, as far as like hiking and in college, I got into backpacking quite a bit. So I've been kind of a non-consumptive user of the outdoors. And it wasn't until after college, I started doing some environmental education internships and then got hired as a naturalist for uh, a county in the state. I did that for about five years before um, I switched over to law enforcement. And kind of that transition happened after I started riding along with some of the conservation officers in the area where I was a naturalist and just kind of, I was just kind of at the point where I needed a change. And I thought that looked it seemed like an interesting uh, career path. I went that direction um, by getting hired in Wisconsin as at the time it was called a deputy conservation warden. So I worked over there for a while, went through the police academy there and then was hired full-time back in Iowa. So that's kind of the short version. I've got a couple kids as well. I've got a 13 year old and a 11 year old. So. And for those of you listening that are wondering non-consumptive, it's kind of a buzzword we use. So when we're, we're talking about people that really enjoy uh, bird watching or hiking, camping, um, anything that, that doesn't involve buying a hunting or fishing license and, and really kind of contributing into the Pittman-Robinson Act or the Dingle-Johnson Act that then comes back to help with conserving and, and funding wildlife lands and, and all that good stuff. So uh, just a, I throw it out all the time too. And then I think, hmm, maybe not everyone knows what the heck the lingo I'm talking about, uh, what they're saying. But 
That's that's awesome. That's a it's kind of a fun background. Um, it it mimics mine also being a naturalist and and kind of coming into the hunting world from a different angle. I find myself and and maybe you do too sometimes asking why. <laughs> why do we do that? I didn't grow up as a a five or an eight or a ten year old hunting. And so I, I often find myself asking, why do you do this? What, what is it? Like, I also enjoy the, the beauty of things. So yeah, that's a, I think that's a different angle than most um, of our law enforcement officers within uh, the conservation world. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think most officers, you know, grew up hunting and fishing and, and that's great. I wish I would have had some exposure to that when I was younger, but I just, I just didn't. We're using the, maybe that lingo of conservation officer. What is a conservation officer? Um, and, you know, we, we know coming from our agency world that we use that conservation officer world. But if you describe that to someone and as your career, what, what does a conservation officer do? Or, in what is a conservation officer? Well, that's probably a good place to start because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what a conservation officer does, which is part of the reason I wrote this book because I wanted everybody to have a better understanding of like the breadth of things that we do. But a conservation officer um, is basically a law enforcement officer, a lot like a state trooper or a county deputy. But the difference is, is that whereas a trooper may specialize in, you know, traffic laws and stuff like that. We specialize in fish and game laws, boating laws, ATV, snowmobile, anything to do that with natural resources and outdoor activities that people take part in. So we can enforce any laws of the state. We just focus on those natural resource laws. We're not out there um, rescuing animals or petting deer or <laughs> whatever it is that people kind of think we do. That's not what we do. We get a lot of questions about why do you carry a gun? You know, since when does the DNR carry a gun? And we're, you know, we're just, we're dealing primarily with people, not necessarily with animals. Gay Morden, are you a gay Morden? Well, that's kind of an interchangeable term in, in a sense, but we are in Iowa, we are um, conservation officers. This is our, our job title. So if you hear somebody talk about a game warden, that's probably the same job that I do. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think that's maybe, that's an old term for it. Would that be a, a good way to put it? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, when I think of a game warden as opposed to a conservation officer, I, that's kind of how I categorize it. I think quote unquote game warden was really just doing hunting and fishing and trapping and those types of things. Conservation officers are gonna be pulled into the you know, these days the job is just different and you're pulled into doing other types of enforcement, whether that be people, you know, using drugs or, you know, anything that happens in our wild areas, whether that's um, legal or not, but using drugs and theft and assault and all those things kind of uh, happen and we get pulled into those types of enforcement situations. And for any of our listeners in Kansas, Kansas game wardens are the same as Iowa conservation officers, which are the same as Nebraska conservation officers. So. And I think that's 
pretty consistent nationwide. The term called conservation officer is pretty nationwide. Good point, Rachel. Erica, you've pointed out just a couple, more than probably a couple things that you do on a daily basis. When I run into our conservation officers here in Nebraska, it seems like every time I chat with a different one across the state, they they say something different that they are doing that day or maybe that season year round. And I am just always amazed and set in to see or hear what they're they do what you do what is a normal day look like for you or maybe the word normal is not what I should be using <laughs> what's a day look like for you it's very dependent on the time of year that we're in so I mean, summertime, you know, at least for me, I have a big reservoir, uh, federal impoundment in the area. I've got a couple rivers and a couple lakes. So most of my summertime is taken up with um, boating enforcement. So I spend a lot of the summer on a boat. I focus a lot on drunk drivers for uh, boating. And then, you know, during the fall, we get into fishing or get into hunting season. And so then I'm out patrolling and um, getting involved in poaching cases. So it just really depends on the time of year and what cases I'm working on as far as what I'm actually doing day to day. I also try to do some educational programs, which I think we're going to talk about later. But um, when COVID-19 is not around, I'm doing some uh, after school programs and things like that with kids. So. Oh, fun. Yep. And definitely before I dive into to my question or, or portion of the topic, um, just for those you know, Nebraska listeners over there, um, they definitely should be very familiar with where Erica um, lives uh, with the good old Hawkeyes over there and the Huskers now that they are competing head to head. So <laughs> oh, looking yeah. forward to the upcoming rematch now that that football has started up again. Oh, let's hope it continues. <laughs> Erica, we've kind of talked about a little bit already um, what kind of drew you into being a conservation officer, but um like you, um, I started out my journey in, in more of a non-consumptive way. Um, I did get to grow up fishing. My my dad and my grandpa were avid anglers, so I was in a in a boat fishing probably before I could even walk with a pole in my hand if they could rig it up some way. So um, definitely a lot of fishing in Arkansas and Minnesota and, and primarily outside the state of Iowa just because they were big walleye fishermen and my, my grandparents had retired down in, in Arkansas. But I grew up hiking, camping, um, just general outdoors um, quite a bit. And then once I got through college too, um, I was actually kind of going more of the, the wildlife care route or, or more of the interpretive education route too. And it was a, given the opportunity to have an internship with the DNR and, and got drawn into law enforcement and um, actually spent a couple of years as a conservation officer myself before um, the department kind of changed directions with the position and wanted to make it a uh, civilian and focus more on education and outreach with our, our growth of our shooting sports. Um, but I, I think you um, definitely want to uh, do justice to the listeners and, and really expand on um, the work that um, you guys do as conservation officers. Um, I think a lot of times folks don't really sit back and think, I mean, especially even in, in Johnson County and you reference it in your book as well. You know, you know, Iowa is like a grid or there's a road every mile, but we do have a lot of um, 
rural hidden gems and pockets. And, and you guys are out there working by yourselves in these remote areas where a lot of times there's no cell connections. Um, you're working with users that, that have knives, have hooks, have guns with them. So um, what you guys do is, um, you know, a very at-risk job that folks don't really step back and think just because of the, the type of folks that you're dealing with. Now we know the, the bulk of our users are, are doing the right thing and, and, and are handling those firearms and and items safely and have no intent, but um, even with you in Johnson County in the, in the Hawkeye wildlife area, um, like you said, you've gotten into to drugs and, and all that other stuff that goes on out there. So I just wanted to kind of really hit on the, the magnitude and the risk of the job that um, goes with it too. And the conditions, water, like you mentioned, you guys are on swollen rivers and, and dams and stuff going out there to try to save folks that have gotten themselves in trouble and, and ensure that the, the resources are, are being taken care of. So, um, definitely just want to commend you and um, everyone for what you do because a lot of times uh, it just goes I guess I think overlooked the, the magnitude and the risk that goes into the job so as you've had the opportunity to work uh, you know as a naturalist and then in Wisconsin for, for a while in a more rural community and now in a more urban community you know kind of what have you noticed as some some a different different risks and, and changes from those different types of environments you've had the opportunity to work in? You know, you run into some similar situations, but a lot really depends on your territory. And I talk in the book a little bit maybe about how even the landscape, you know, in central Iowa, where I was initially, was pretty different than where I am now. Uh, I started out kind of in the plains where it's, you know, windy all the time. And, you know, it's just a different it's just a different crowd. You get a different um, different types of people uh, in one community versus another. So where I'm at now, like you said, is a very urban, pretty urban area. I'm between Iowa City and Cedar Rapids, which are both pretty highly populated. And, you know, there's a federal impoundment, there's colleges nearby, there's the Hawkeye Wildlife Area, which is a world unto itself. So um, that's, the, that's the nice way of putting it. Um, <laughs> So it's just, it, it's really dependent on where you're from. In Wisconsin, I was more in rural areas, more forested areas. So just the nature of the work is just different by virtue of the landscape that you're in. Before we move on um, and turn it back over to Rachel, I wanted to pull one expert or excerpt from your book that I thought uh, did a really good job that you you quoted um, Jordan Fisher Smith's kind of summarization as a conservation officer and it, it really stuck with me. And it says, you protect the land from the people, the people from the land, the people from each other and the people from themselves. It's what you are trained to do without even thinking a reflexive and unconditional act. If you're lucky, you get assigned to people who seem worth saving and land and waters whose situation is not hopeless. If not, you save them anyway, and maybe in time, saving them will make them worth it. I thought that's a, an awesome summary of kind of what you guys do on the landscape. And, and like you said, you know, bulk of the people out there are doing it for the right things, enjoy the resource, want to protect it. But there are some out there that are misusing it. But you you continue to to work towards that and, and try to save it anyway. So I thought that was a, an awesome summary statement. Yeah, I, I wish I would have thought of that quote, but you got, <laughs> got it first and you worked really, really well. Yeah, I'm glad you wrote that because it kind of sums up I guess how I see the how I see the work of a conservation officer as well. So along those same lines looking at your book I, I can't imagine the writing process and kind of the looking back and kind of looking within what for, for readers that haven't picked up the book yet they better get a copy. What would you say is different about your book compared to other books about conservation officers? I have a minor 
love in in my heart for CJ Box and and his characters. And I understand that that is completely fiction. And but I I do have a special place in my heart for for that writing about conservation officers. What what's a little bit different about your book? Um, obviously, it's nonfiction. Anything you'd like to to say about that? There are several conservation officer, I guess, or game warden books out there. I guess when I wrote this, um, I wanted it to be more than just like a collection of stories between two covers of a book. I wanted it to look um, a little bit inward and I wanted to be really honest with my readers about both myself and my feelings about my job as well as, you know, what's actually happening out there. So I tried to interject some personal thoughts throughout the book. I wanted to highlight some of the kind of more nature writing, I guess. So I tried to include some of of my observations about our natural world and how unique and beautiful it is here in Iowa, even though maybe people don't necessarily think of that when they think of Iowa. And I also wanted the reader to be carried through the book um, with some recurring characters so they can kind of grow to know the people that some of the people that I work with encounter. So there's some recurring characters that I, you know, work with throughout the book and you get to know them a little bit as you're reading it. So I think it's a little bit different than other game warden books in that sense, um, because a lot of them are, you know, a series of really entertaining stories. I, I just wanted it to flow smoothly and I wanted to include stories that weren't just funny because we have a lot of funny things that happen to us and you have to have a sense of humor when you're doing this job or you will not survive. <laughs> Um, but there's also a lot of things that definitely are not funny. And I wanted to include those to make it a real look of what it is that we're dealing with as we do this work. Now, most definitely, Erica. And, and, and that's what I think I enjoyed most about the book is just your, the authentic of it, um, of, especially for being a person that's kind of gotten a glimpse into the world. You were very authentic and raw and honest, and, and that takes a lot. And you weren't afraid to admit those mistakes and, and how you navigated those waters. It was inspiring to me and, and definitely kept me going, like you said, with those characters and the, the, the sprinkles of, of the hilarity and the, the humor through it. Because like you said, it is uh, you have to use humor to get through even some of the, the tough stuff. I've done reserve work and I've had to deal with some some pretty nasty situations and, and fatalities and stuff like that. And and to, to get through that, I mean, and for folks not in this world and, and sometimes it's not being disrespectful. It's what you have to do to mentally get through the work and through the, the situation that you're in. I definitely appreciate your, again, the authentic honesty and the rawness of, of your writing. And I, that's what made it enjoyable for me to read. I mean, I want to go kind of to the beginning of your book and and you, you talked a little bit about it already, really wanted to expand because it's a challenge, not only as a, a female in law enforcement in general, a female definitely in uh, conservation law enforcement, and especially in Iowa, there's only a handful that we've had come through the ranks in, in Iowa and in natural resources in general, there hasn't been a lot of females. Now, we've, we've definitely have seen that start trending in, in more of the biology and the, the education and outreach, um, not only in Iowa and across the nation. I was one of the, the lone female hunter ed coordinators, and now I want to say that we've went a lot of um, retirements and stuff across the nation. And now we're probably almost close to a 50-50 split with um, females in the role of the Hunter Ed Administrator. But it definitely is challenging. And, and I know even myself working with the volunteers and, and working with some of the old guard that was in place when I started in the early 2000s, I, I really had to work extra hard to earn that respect from them and to, to show them that I could do the work in this thing. And I could be, even though I didn't grow up hunting and did grow up fishing, but I didn't grow up hunting that, but I got into it and enjoy it now. And then I enjoy taking others. For me, it's more about sharing that experience than the harvest. 
but I really had to prove myself. So um, I really enjoyed uh, reading that section of the book too, and kind of your, your trials and tribulations. So can you talk a little bit about your, your struggles and, and hurdles you had to get through as you, you went through the academy and, and got into the role as a conservation officer? Uh, yeah, when I went through the academy, I was one of two women in my class. And the other woman was a forest ranger for Wisconsin. But since then, yeah, I mean, it's you are outnumbered <laughs> by, by a long shot if you're going to go into conservation law enforcement as a as a female. And like you say, I think it's trending, you know, to, to where we're getting more women in the field, but it's still, I, I just don't want to lie and say it's easy. It's not easy. Um, there's going to be difficult moments for any female entering the field. And I think that's just what we need is just more to come in and, you know, get people used to the fact that we can do the job just as well as anybody else. And sometimes, you know, I think it's just a matter of mindset from the agencies themselves that need to realize that, you know, whether you're female or male or, you know, whatever your diversity aspect might be, I mean, uh, it's just a matter of realizing that there's more than one way to do this job and have an open, open mindset about accepting that it doesn't have to be the way it's always been. You know, we don't have to do things the way we've always done them. Sometimes uh, women may go about things not, you know, in general may go about things differently than say men would, but just, I don't know, I guess I could ramble on about that, but I, I, I just think it's a matter of having an open mind about having a diverse workforce and not only diversity in gender, but diversity in general. I feel like that's very empowering for the females in general getting active in outdoor skills, such as hunting and fishing, seeing that there's a female out there in the law enforcement field, protection of our natural resources. You know, me as a female, I see that supportive as well, seeing a female in, in that diversity role of protecting our natural resources. So kudos to you for taking that on. You know, Nebraska, right, we right now have one female that is officially in the field. Um, one that I know of for sure, maybe two that are hitting the training field. And so it, it is, it's great to see, like you said, we, we touched on that word of diversity. I feel like that perspective, like I've, I've touched on, is that empowering for females just to participate in those sports in general? They see that, you, you know, if they can be at those top roles and protecting our natural resources, I as a female can go out there and be part of that conservation effort as well. You know, kind of going on your book now is what, you know, what was that moment? Did you have a moment where you were probably in your patrol truck or your vehicle and be like, you know, I really have got to start writing this down. Um, we're in work and office sometimes and we say we probably 10 years ago when, or 12 years ago, 12 years ago when I started with the game in Parks in Nebraska, I wish we would have had started writing what we call a journal and started writing down the almost stupidest or the funniest or did that person really do that moment or say that moment? Was there a time when you were in your patrol vehicle or out in the field like, yeah, I maybe should start writing this down? Yeah, I think, I think every conservation officer has that thought at one point or another, like I should write this stuff down, you know, like nobody will believe this. For me, I, I wanted to write a book ever since I was just a little kid because I just love to read. So that's always been a goal of mine. I just never thought it would be the book that I wrote. <laughs> I thought it would be, you know, a 
I don't know, just a fiction book, which I'm horrible at writing fiction. But so, yeah, I started out, I think the moment that I decided to write the book was more based on the fact that I used to write the Warden's Diary column for Iowa Outdoors magazine. I did that for about 10 years. After about 10 years, the magazine went through some changes. And so I decided at that point that I would turn my focus more to just putting putting some things in a book because in a magazine, it was fun. It was probably my favorite part of my job at that point was writing that article for the magazine, but you're pretty restricted on what you can write about and also the length that you can write. So to be able to include some of these stories that you find in the book that I just could not make them family friendly, I guess, in a, in a magazine, in a family friendly magazine. So I was able to really let go when I wrote this book and say what I wanted to say. What was maybe that one moment or the event that says, I have to share this? Maybe maybe that's a sneak peek in the book. <laughs> well, there's several things that I wrote about, I think in the book that I was really not able to write about for the magazine. And so I was like, finally, I can write, I can write this story. And I would say that probably the main one that I think about when I think about that moment was in the process of trying to clean up the Hawkeye wildlife area and some of the activities that were happening um, at the Hawkeye wildlife area that were just, so we, we went about trying to clean up the area. And so a lot, there's a story in the book about how we went about doing that. And it's something that I could definitely could not write about in a, in a magazine. Yeah, and it, it makes that, it's the connection of this is our public lands that we provide for families and to be a safe atmosphere for everyone to enjoy. And I, Erica, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, you share these stories to that to point out that you know these these things are happening in these public lands, these lands that everyone should be able to enjoy. And it's unfortunate that this small group, the small population, um, is making it unsafe for people to enjoy. And so that's the reason why we have our conservation officers go in and make that so a bigger population can enjoy those resources and and the way they were meant to be. Yeah, I think that's a theme that I kind of have throughout the book is just the the purpose of our public lands and how they're often kind of the center of a tug of war of, you know, from different groups and different people that want to use that public land in the way they see fit. And it may interfere with how other people want to use the public land. So sometimes we end up kind of being a referee for the, you know, in, in on the side of the land itself, pulling the reins and, you know, getting people back to using the land the way it's, you know, it was intended to be used. And also keeping in mind the fact that places like the Hawkeye wildlife area that is a wildlife management area are are paid for by the hunters and fishermen and trapper you know people who are purchasing licenses so there's that aspect to think about too that um, we can't just let people do whatever they want out there because um, you know it, it may interfere with the purpose of the area. Great point yeah very very solid points there you know I always tell my kids when they go running through or you feel like little kids need to destroy something of a habitat. And I make it to the point to them, like, would you like that in that animal to come into your bedroom and destroy your bedroom? 
you know, and it's the same kind of, it's, it, I'm just making that perspective of a, a now to our eight year old mind though. And sometimes you have to do that. <laughs> Probably the population you deal with. Let's drop it down to the eight year old mind. <laughs> do you want them to go to your bedroom and destroy your bedroom? Maybe so. I should start saying that to people. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's worked with an eight year old. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I never know. <laughs> So I imagine writing the book was probably pretty, pretty relieving to finally kind of like voice some of the things that you've dealt with. For our listeners that, that haven't had a chance to, to pick up the copy, do you have a favorite story or one that, that really kind of hits home or, or sticks with you? Or maybe they all are, and that's why they're in the book, but just. Well, it's, yeah, it's like choosing your favorite child. I, I don't know if I can pick. I mean, there's a couple cases that I worked that I felt like were pretty satisfying. One of which I think is a, there's a, there's a story about uh, a boat theft that happens in the book uh, in a nearby county to me, to mine. And just the way that we went about working that case um, through social media and tracking these people down and kind of seeing them, you almost have to just read it, but but it's something that we wouldn't deal with every day. I mean, we don't always deal with people who are stealing boats and boat motors. That was just one of those cases that was really satisfying to work because, you know, in a sense, like part of my favorite part of this job is kind of like pretending I'm a detective and being able to piece together parts of a case and put them, you know, so they make sense and you can present them to a prosecutor that way. So that was one of my favorite um, cases was just putting this theft case together and um, actually catching the people who did it. Because there's so many cases or or situations that you find yourself in where I'm sure you're kind of left with a, it's not all tied up in a nice bow. And so to have one that's like, yes, I got this one. And they were prosecuted, like it, you know, it's that trifecta of all your hard work, finding the right thing, working with other organizations, and then they actually, you know, kind of served their whatever they were served. And and that's got to be kind of a nice feeling because I know some of the other cases and situations that we deal with are are not as uplifting or happy or you know I mean when when you're talking about any sort of hunting situation where we fought any of our incidents like those are always they pull at your heart and and dealing with the families and and everything else so it's I imagine it's it's nice to finally have that big victory and say yes we got them (laughs) yeah it's hardly ever hardly any of my cases are ever tied with a new bow um, and usually, you know, things kind of dissolve and fall apart when they reach the prosecutor's desk and plea bargains are made and plea deals, which is really frustrating for an officer to put several months into a case and then have it just dissolve in your, you know, as you're watching the prosecutor take it apart and throw it away. So it's kind of, it's hard. And um, yeah, so when you have those cases that are successful, it just feels really um, gratifying. So it turns out life is not like law and order. Nope, it's not. Not at all. <laughs> Man, I mean, my like soul is crushed right now. I found out yeah, that life cool. is not NCIS and is not law and order. Like, oh, and CSI, like you don't, you know, <laughs> I don't have like lots of tools where I can go like scan a dead deer and find out who shot it or anything. Man, oh, that would be awesome. I can't, can't even imagine how much that easier that would make your job. <laughs> like, scan this deer. Oh, oh. so and so did it. <laughs> go get them. 
<laughs> if only there were cameras everywhere, but I don't know that we want that either, I guess. <laughs> no, you probably don't want that for many reasons. <laughs> Well, just by knowing the uniqueness of your job and, and how many hours you put in um, in a typical year, I'm sure there are many of them, but are there any stories that you didn't write in the book that, that maybe you wish you would have included or there were reasons why you didn't include them? Well, I, you know, initially when I, when I turned the manuscript in, um, the editor ended up removing a couple of the stories or suggested I remove a couple of the stories, mostly for flow reasons and to make the book a little bit shorter. Um, there are stories that I still have in the back of my mind, like I, I kind of want to write about and I've tried and I just can't figure out how to, how to do it. I'm not like a genius writer or anything. So, <laughs> you know, a lot of these were just hammered out and edited over and over and over. And um, actually my mom is a great editor, but a great editor to a writer is, is kind of hard to take, especially when it's your mom telling you to write something there's something doesn't make sense and you need to rewrite it. I, I mean, there were stories that I, you know, that definitely could have gone in there. I just, like, like I said, I just couldn't figure out how to quite shape them into a story that fit into this book. So does that lead into maybe a book? Yeah, I think, um, you know, just, I kind of was like soaking in the fact that I actually had a book published, which I never thought would ever happen in my entire life. But so I hadn't written since this came out and I just recently started writing again, to kind of put some ideas in place for a second book. Basically what I mean is, you know, as I work day to day, if something happens, I'm basically writing it down and so that I can recall it later. This, you know, actually writing this book has also improved my diligence about writing reports. I keep them all, all my uh, incident reports and investigative reports in a big binder. So now I can go back and look at the details of what happened. That's really helped. Actually, I think it'll help me for a second book. What about like a do you ever see yourself, because you, when you were, you said you've wanted to write a book since you've been a kid or a writer, do you see yourself writing like a kid's book at more of a fun um, superhero conservation world? You know, I never thought of that. Maybe I'll try. Maybe I'll try. <laughs> I just, I am just not great with fiction and I, I don't know if I can do that or not. Yeah, maybe I'm just too morbid. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Well, it probably have to be in your position. <laughs> you know, I did do the artwork for this book, so maybe I could come up with a picture book of some kind, but it would have to, I don't know. I just don't know if I could do that or not. <laughs> I'll keep that in the back of my mind, though, and if I get bored, maybe I'll try to make a conservation hero book. That'd be cool. There you go. And that's what I was going to throw in there, too. Um, and, of course, since it's the podcast, we can't show you, but um, Erica, like she mentioned, did all the illustrations in that book and and kind of segue in into this, this next topic that's um, not related to the book, but something that's definitely near and dear to, to Rachel and my heart because we've had the opportunity to kind of help provide you some support with this effort and and watch it uh, grow and flourish and, until that, that lovely COVID hit. Um, and definitely, I know it's near and dear to, to Julia and, and our partners in Kansas as well as we do a lot of um, education and outreach. And, and there's been a lot of research out there in the importance of really trying to submerse our younger audiences um, into natural resources at an earlier age because they're more likely to to become good stewards and to adopt these these activities, but it's been really hard for us from the agency perspective to, to have enough manpower or scalability to, to really focus the time that's needed on these. And, and you've done an excellent job with your program and, and in the community and definitely want to have you talk a little bit about wild things. And, and I know that you put in 
several hours um, into this program outside of your, your normal job duty. So can you talk a little bit about what it is, why it's important to you and, and why you started it? Thank, I'd take this moment to thank you guys because the program would not exist without your help with it. But yeah, I came up with the program Wild Things. Um, I don't know how many, a few years ago. I don't remember how many years ago it was now, but um, I kind of based it, based the program um, off of maybe Finland's forest school idea and um, after reading the book, Last Child in the Woods, um, which talks about how, basically how childhood is different these days than it was maybe even when we were young. Um, and I don't feel that old, but I think my childhood was different when it comes to like immersing yourself in nature than kids these days. Um, so I wanted this program basically to be a space where kids um, could basically immerse themselves in nature without a lot of instruction. So Wild Things does not have a big curriculum. It doesn't, you know, I don't really schedule a lot of like activities that are directed by me. I mean, we will be literally just drive to a wildlife area or a nearby wild area of some kind. We get out of the van, we put on some mud boots if we're gonna get in the creek or whatever, and we just go. And it's really interesting to watch kids who I guess one of the things that surprised me is that really kids expect the adult to direct them their every move. And it's kind of a neat transition to see from the first day of a wild thing session until the last day, how these kids go from getting out of the van and looking at me and asking, what do I do now? To getting out of the van and running into the woods and pretend they're a dinosaur, play and climb and basic, basic stuff that we did when we were in the woods when we were little. It's just different for kids now. So I try to provide a space where there's not a lot of adult instruction. I'm there to make sure they stay safe, but I don't really sit there and tell them what to do. No, you're so spot on and, and, and things have changed so drastically. Like you said, we don't look at ourselves as, as being older, but, you know, being someone that was born in the, the late seventies, early eighties, um, you, where you were just kicked out of the house, you were told don't come home until dark or don't come home till supper's ready. And you just went out and explored and, and so spot on now that everything's just so structured. I mean, even like trick-or-treating now you don't go trick-or-treating from house to house you have to go to a trunk or treat or you have to go to the downtown trick-or-treating and you know parents just don't let their or kids and I, I know there's some valid reasons here and there but it's just so lost and like you said just that natural play and exploration so that's what's been exciting that you're you're bringing that aspect back that's it's so crucial to development and and definitely for us so that are care about the the resources so that's just a crucial step in in wanting to to take ownership and and become that good steward there's usually a waiting list i i keep the group pretty small because i want to be able to you know keep it safe i don't want it such a large group that i kids are running <laughs> running all over and out where they're at you know we have some rules as far as you know they have to stay within sight of me uh, and i you know i have to be able to see them where they're at but we do really just let them play and is such an important thing um, that kids just aren't getting. So I, I feel like even though the idea of the program is simple, it's really a powerful program. Erica, you mentioned Last Child in the Woods, and I think for our listeners, like that is such a great resource if they are raising children to kind of take a step back and, and really understand what's going on and, and the positive positives of just playing in the woods, getting dirty, jumping in the mud puddles, like whatever that natural sense of exploration um, and, and really kind of 
honing in on that. You mentioned that you're a mom of two. Do you have any ad- advice for get for our listeners to get their kids outdoors or to to kind of embrace that or any fun activities you all do as a family? You know, I think my biggest piece of advice, at least, and I'm no parenting expert by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> just ask my kids. Um, but as far as going outdoors, I, mean, I think one of the biggest keys is to not make it a real structured thing, just to go out. And, you know, we're lucky enough that we live on property. We've got 11 acres that borders Corps of Engineers ground. So we're very lucky in that sense. We don't have to drive somewhere to to get out. And, you know, even if you don't have that situation, that living situation, even just letting your kids be outside without really telling them like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build a fort. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Like we will walk down into the woods or walk down to the Creek. And I just sit there and watch them, you know, and they just do their thing. So I think my kids are used to it, but um, maybe that's a place to start for parents is just to take them out and with no expectations whatsoever and just see what, what happens. During the COVID world we're in right now or self-distancing, now is the time even more so to get them outside. Even if it's cold out, put a winter coat on them and get them some fresh air for mentally, physically, healthy, everything. Yeah, I, that's definitely true. Even if it's cold, I mean, that's one of the things with wild things is we it's the rain or shine. The only thing that would stop wild things from happening, which hasn't happened yet, we've been very lucky, but there's uh, lightning. Kids love to go out in the rain. It's like their favorite thing ever. Um, don't let weather stop you. Bundle them up and take them. I also feel like that will, if you take them out at a young age and connect to the outdoors and appreciation of their resources, I personally feel that then once they get to be adults, that they will not make one of your books in the future. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's hope, let's hope that's, <laughs> I, I think uh, one of the things we do in the program is uh, I have some fire starters. I, it's like their favorite thing ever to go and just light a cotton ball on fire with flint and steel or, you know, it's just like, like my parents don't let me do, like, I can't play with fire while well, I'm right there with them and they, they're able to start a little fire up and it's just really cool for them. I think even adults like lighting fire. Oh, I've yeah. got to be honest. So we've hit on a lot of questions. Is there anything else that we didn't ask that you want to share with the listeners, you know, perspective of your book and your, your career? No, I don't think so. Other than, you know, I know an excellent Christmas present you can give your family this Christmas. Oh yeah. (laughs) Erica, tell us the name of your book and where you would able to purchase it. The name of the book is Wildland Sentinel. Field Notes from an Iowa Conservation Officer. You can purchase it pretty much anywhere books are sold. You know, your local bookstore, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. If you live in the Johnson County area, I have a supply here at home. They're 20 bucks and I'll sign it and um, get it to you. So yeah, and I was going to say super easy to do. Uh, I bought mine um, online, but I'll definitely be bringing it to the next time I get the opportunity to see Erica because I want to have a signed copy too. To wrap us up today, I just want to thank Erica for taking time out of her busy schedule. Definitely the, the summer months are busy for her with water and and definitely now with all of our fall hunting seasons underway. Um, 
conservation officer's job is extremely busy. A lot of early mornings, long nights as, as seasons are underway and they're out there making sure the resources are taken care of and the public's being taken care of as well. We truly appreciate, again, you making time to join us and, and look forward to, to reading about some other adventures in the future. I guess one thing I want to leave folks with and if anything, maybe another plug or, or a little expert into your or excerpt into your book or to simply just, you know, really remind our, our listeners. And I think this is something as a society we've gotten away from too, you know, the magnitude of the work that you guys are doing out there, just, you know, take time to do a simple thank you, a wave or a smile when you see a, an officer walking by, um, show them that their work matters. And definitely our, our officers, even though they're law enforcement, you think all about the rules, the regulations, the enforcement aspects, the cases that they do, a big part of their job is education and outreach. And I don't think there's very many of them out there that don't enjoy just taking some moments to talk with the public. Um, They love to educate you. I mean, the diversity of education that goes into getting into these positions. I mean, they have an extensive background on biology and habitat and all of our, our wild critters and fishes. So just take a moment to talk with them. And if you have a question, don't be afraid. Um, It's, it's just such a important part of their, their job and, and, and a great way for you to interact with them too. Last thing I want to leave with, and it's something that you wrote in the very beginning of your book, and it, it definitely stuck with me throughout the, the entire time I read the book and something that, you know, is in the back of my head too, with some of the work that we do and some of those long nights when you're not getting paid and, and definitely Julia and Rachel and, and, and Tana in Kansas can, can attest to that, you know, when you're, you're putting on these public programs or these camps or workshops, I mean, there's a lot of times that we're putting in 20 hour days and we get a couple hours of shut eye before we're getting up early again, before we, we tend to the attendees. Um, I think you put it um, wonderful. And it's, it's just a good, I think, question and, and thought to, to leave in people's minds. So you wrote, as I patrol Iowa's public lands, I wonder if someday I'll look back on my work with a sense of fulfillment, or if instead I'll be left with a feeling that my career was fruitless. I want to know if the hours spent peering through my squad truck's windows, crunching over gravel roads, hiking through brambly weeds, sorting through lies, and following up on tips in pursuit of protecting our our scarce wild places would have been better spent elsewhere. I wonder if my own ephemeral existence would have made a difference to this natural world and the land that I love like nothing else. If someday I discovered that my time as a conservation officer was an exercise in fertility, at least I will know for certain that it was not for a lack of good faith on my part. I maintain a stubborn hope that despite an uncertain future, my work will have not been in vain and that this beautiful place was worth my time. And, and we can definitely attest, Erica, that it, it is worth your time. You've been such a phenomenal role model, Rachel, and I know someone near and dear close to us that's had the opportunity to, to work under you for the last couple of years. And, and it's just been awesome watching her blossom and, and change. So definitely your work hasn't went unnoticed and it was worth your time. I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. Well, thank you all again for tuning into She Goes Outdoors podcast. Uh, Julia, Megan, Tana, and myself truly appreciate it and enjoy spending time with you. Uh, As a reminder, subscribing to the podcast will automatically push new released episodes to your listening device. Help us reach new listeners and grow the show by sharing with all of your outdoor friends. Uh, be sure to visit us uh, on Facebook, Instagram, and sgooutdoors.com. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you outdoors. Outdoors.